Are we recording something new? We have just begun episode <laughs> 15 of Inherently Human. I'm Aiden DeBoard. Jim Newman. And this is a full, not even a full 30 seconds after <laughs> the last <laughs> We ended the last one. <laughs> I know. We, we said goodbye, we pressed the stop button, and I asked Jim what he wanted to talk about, and he's, he gave me his answer, and then he pressed record. And so here I know, that's pretty sudden. But, you know, I mean, one thing I think we strive for, and I think we succeed at doing no. a lot, is being spontaneous. Absolutely. And one way to ensure the spontaneity is uh, to give us no chance to plot. Oh, I mean, yeah. we've never written an outline. Maybe that's a bad thing. I'm not really clear on that. But it seems like we work well together just by saying what we mean and hearing what the other person says. I like that. A lot. Now, there is the issue that sometimes we forget to mention, which is that I'm 72, uh, Aiden is 20, and somehow we still connect and I think effectively learn from each other, really. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to learn from generational gaps. There is, mm-hmm. man. There's a lot that I'm learning about not only myself, but kind of the world around me from Jim talking about his life and how he's lived it, and the things that he's gone through. And I would like to think that you've learned a thing or two from my own nonsensory. Well, dude, I mean, it's like, I think it's true probably of any alert human being, and I count you in that number, that it's really... uh, a gift to me... And a phenomenon to hear you explore the world that you inhabit as a millennial. And it's a landscape that, of course, I can never really visit. Mm. So through your eyes, I can see it. Because you, I think, are a very keen observer in your sensitive. And also, you are truthful. You are honest and verbal, and you can express yourself. So it's a treasure to talk to you. Seriously. I guess I'm a, I'm a treasure now. I, I love are. that. You are. You are. Good ego boost for the day. Thank yeah. you, Jim. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I think you're a treasure, too. Thank just, you. Just so you know. All right. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't be as emotionally charged right now with my, my compliments. <laughs> no, he's still but recovering just, just from a horrible cold, man. <laughs> so... No. Just know that if all in you all, had, if you had your full capacity, uh, yeah. what you would I say. Immensely appreciate you and all that you've told me and everything that we've done and everything that we've talked about. There is so much to learn out of it. There is so much that I'm going to take with me years down the road. I think actually that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that I talk about, especially with you and what we do here and what we talk about. In my outside life, and Ooh. honestly, I just I can't appreciate that enough. So thank you for. Well, you're welcome, man. It, you know, it is a two way street, as I just said. <laughs> but we were agreeing that we wanted to talk about mentorship. We we mentioned it a little bit, yeah, uh, in the last episode after we discussed a lot about a video game. <laughs> uh, yeah, and video game as metaphor for life. The, yeah, the, it wasn't just me. D- Spewing all these things about a video game. Look, that I thought people... it was fascinating. <laughs> there, I've never played a game. And there's it was really cool. I described it. There's morality in it. Yeah. Anyways, 
Um, but yeah, you wanted to talk about mentorships, and why don't you explain to us what you mean by that? Well, I think a mentor is someone, and I think, oh God, I don't know if it's really part of the definition, but I think usually you think of a mentor as someone older than yourself who's been through many experiences that you yourself are likely to encounter, and so that person can give you key information about how to behave, choices that you might not otherwise have made, and that mentor then makes your life a lot easier as you go through. Right. Uh, and I think about my life, and I think I, I've, I've met just uncountable numbers of kind, good people mm-hmm. who have furthered my life in any number of ways, but I can't really think of a lot of mentors. I mean, people that, you know, like Grandpa Joe, I just go out to the farm and he'd say, well, boy, what about this? And I'd just be stunned at his wisdom. I don't remember having those experiences. What about, uh, that first, the first DJ job that you had in the radio station we, we've talked about this guy before. What was his name? Probably John. Now, are you talking about the guy that owned the station? I think he so. He was such a wonderful man. His name, I hope he's still alive. His name is John Gillis. I think that's who it was. He was so kind to me because I was such a neurotic little boy. Mm-hmm. And I was terrible on the air. I was only 17 at this little 1,000-watt station in Hillsboro. And John Gillis was a good-humored, open-hearted man. As I remember him, he's always smiling. And I had a dark turn to my mentality that turned everything into a devastating threat. Right. And A lot of and, self-defense. Up oh, the, yeah, up the yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would look at me. He called me... Gloomin, Gloomin, instead of Newman. Ah, I get it now. All right, yeah. Gloomin, oh, (laughs) Gloomin. Because he's trying to jolly me out of it. Yeah. And in any way that he could ever make a choice to be supportive of me, he did. Mm -hmm. And I look back, I mean, it took me years, decades, to understand how wonderful he had been to me. Yeah. And so I had the clarity of mind to try to find him again. It was really hard to find him because he didn't have a phone. It turned out uh, that uh, even at 77, he was quite the Lothario guy. I mean, he's still a good-looking man. And he was living with a partner, a woman, uh, in Vancouver, Washington. But then he'd broken up with her, and he was with someone new. I finally got in contact with one of his sons, and Mm -hmm. uh, through him I met with John again. And I thanked him from the bottom of my heart Mm -hmm. for his goodness to me, and he kind of waved it off. It was like, oh yeah, we all liked you, you were fine, you know what I mean? So, Gloomin. Yeah, Gloomin. But, I mean, uh, in terms of philosophical heart-to-heart conversations, we never had any. He was good to me. Yeah. And many people have played that role for me. Right. Been wonderful to me, Mm -hmm. in, in many ways, but 
has to point by point laying out the world in a way that would have been helpful. I don't know. I don't think I've had that much. I'm curious, this John Gillis, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, in your book, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, I look at it every single day, but I, state of, not a state of mind. That's uh, a habit of mind. A habit of mind. Ah, one word off. A habit of mind, um, the main character, is he based off John a little bit? I, I, you know, that's probably amalgam. He's sort of a bad boy. I mean, uh, yeah. Doug Pepper. The mm-hmm. name. I wrote a book that got published in 2015 called A Habit of Mind. It's fiction. It's and good. Thank you. I liked it's it. It's still uh, available on Amazon, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, I didn't consciously uh, include John Gillis in the construction of that character. Mm-hmm. And yet the mix of optimism and silliness uh, and uh, misbehavior that is in that character would probably just be a mix of lots of people. You know, my own desire to be that way. Oh, yeah. Too. This kind of being young again and this rebellious rogue guy. Yeah, who, you know, materially... (laughs) And I think in some way the character does reflect me because of my inability to see clearly enough to understand when I'm not being dissed or put down by people so I don't need to be defensive Mm -hmm. but because my perception system thinks I am under attack then I do get defensive and it's a problem right Right. well that happens to that character too and that's part of his affliction as he goes through and he tries to well he doesn't try so much but as the book goes on he learns partly from the kindness of other people that there is a more generous worldview than right. his own. You know, he did at least what I remember from the book because I haven't read it since summer. Um, <clears throat> is that he he started out pretty cynical? Um, yeah, and also defensively arrogant. I mean, really mm-hmm. believing in his own superiority. He thought he was hot shit. Oh, All total yeah. hot shit. You know, mm-hmm. women love me. It's like, I could take him relief. You know, this, which is a quite an isolated position to be in, which he discovers mm-hmm. not too far into the book. He gets hung up on by women that he thinks are hot for him. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, that's a revelation. Going through the contacts, yeah. calling him up. And yeah, because he's suddenly real down. needy and there ain't nobody there for him. That seems real poignant to me to have that happen. Yeah. Just this, the most, the least subtle way to kind of get a kick in the teeth about you need to change as a person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you can learn stuff from life, or you can learn it by being forewarned by by somebody. Yeah, and I'm wondering, is there someone... You mentioned you you you've got two grandparents. You, you got Rusty, your dad. You got your mom. Uh, well, you, you know, uh, you've not really 
given any one of them a preference in your life. I mean, it's like you seem to respect them all. Mm -hmm. But is there anyone in the family or otherwise that you would look back and say, wow, you know, I'm so glad that that person warned me off this or that or gave me an insight, really laid out the landscape of the world for me in a way that's really saved me unimaginable pain somehow. <sighs> That's a lot. No, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think the best way to describe it is that everybody in some capacity has helped me through this journey that is life. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, my mom taught me how to be generous. She taught me how to be nice and how to be respectful to people and uh, what sh- not chivalry but etiquette, I guess. She has been a huge factor in me becoming who I am and my values. Wow. You know, coming from her. And so I don't know if I can call that a mentor, quote unquote, but you know, she she had a lot to do with who I am. Additionally, with my dad, I mean, he's done so much for me. Um, He's done a lot for my physical body. um, By encouraging what? Exercise or something? (laughs) So, it was because of him that I was interested in things like uh, wood splitting. I was interested in things like agriculture. I was far more interested in physical labor than I was uh, with most other kinds of work. You know, I don't like to sit at a computer and type in a bunch of numbers or write a bunch of papers. I'd rather be out moving things and, you know, throwing and... Carrying the load. Yeah, exactly. And doing the physical labor of a job and... And he didn't add, he, he made you experience that without you feeling a sense of being burdened by it. Mm-mm. Not at all. Huh. Because the way that he did it was very smart. Yeah. He, there was a necessity, there was a means to uh, getting that, and then there was the lesson that I learned from it. So, especially with the wood splitting, for example, we did that for years to a point where it's my my uh, third rated hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, you know, if I ever own a little forest cabin, I gotta remember that about you. Yeah, please and thank you. It, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, but we would split wood because we had a fire pit and we had a, a burn pile, and my dad's shop used to be heated with a stove, mm-hmm. like a wood stove, and so. I knew that putting in this work, I would benefit from it. Right. Directly. Not only do I benefit from it, but the rest of my family benefits from it. And then I know that my friends and friends of friends and whoever was over would benefit from it too. So there was a direct correlation between the work that I was doing and the benefit that came from it. Wow. I'm in awe of that. I'm wondering how... Uh, a person, your father in this case, would have to behave to achieve that rather deep positive result in his son that you correlate the physical labor with 
giving to people that aren't even going to directly benefit necessarily from that chopped up piece of wood. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkable. I might be looking too much into it. Oh, dude, <laughs> I, I, I think not, because I've been watching your face, and I mean, uh, it all makes sense to me. You're, you are just riffing on your experience. <laughs> so, and I think I, it's pretty real, actually. <laughs> And I know for a fact that my dad did it completely on accident. <laughs> he, right. he just wanted some wood and he had a couple sons to chop it for him. Yeah, but I wonder if that doesn't mean, though, I mean, uh, again, maybe it's too far to the weeds uh, and imputing too much to too little, perhaps. But uh, does that mean you think he's a generous soul, your dad? Oh, absolutely. Ah! Oh, yeah. No. Okay. In, in its entirety, he is... One of the most generous people I, I know. Okay, well, see, yeah, there you go. And so he he gives so much to people, and he does it because he likes it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he feels good doing it, and, you know, I, I don't know. There's a lot that we can learn from Rusty. Um, <laughs> and so... He he's still wanting that uh, the Rusty's bar. Well, episode. I mean, we can travel. The technology <laughs> allows <mobile>. that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll uh, talk to him about I'll it. See when he wants to. But All right. Anticipate a Rusty's episode. That will be fascinating. <laughs> what it will entail is uh, us having a couple drinks and just shooting the shit. Right. Learning about who Rusty is and how Rusty is. Okay. Um, I'm a good questioner, but you know him, so you'll probably be able to really reveal the man to us. I'll I'll call him out on his bullshit. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. I'll be the, the fact checker yeah. behind it all. So if he had <laughs> kindness to give you, and that's something that you feel as though you absorbed, Mm-hmm. Just absorbed. He didn't lecture you on kindness. He just was kindness. Yes. Uh, in terms of your mom, then, her uh, diligence and, and her caring and uh, the qualities that I got you have, her, yeah. that you ascribe to her, uh, was it the same kind of system? Or did she guide Not... you verbally more, somehow, say stuff, advise you? She was... I guess more present mm-hmm. because, you know, my dad would work and then he would do his, he's a real homebody uh-huh. and that's totally fair. The older I get, the more I understand why he does that. Yeah, yeah. But it was my mom who, you know, would be the one to pick me up from whatever sports practice I was at or take me to whoever's friend's house and she was always there. And so she instilled in me a sense of presence and a sense of commitment, which completely, once again, by accident, just by being in my life, just by being there for me, she allowed me to be sensitive, I guess. Yeah. Because it's not that I couldn't be sensitive with my dad. It was just more that he was... The physical realm of you the know, physical labor, yeah, and the, activity, the, the, the manliness, yeah, of all that, yeah, the 
alpha yeah. testosterone. Sure, but sure. But my mom was the more gentle, sensitive soul that gave me, that pretty much balanced out what would have been just this shit show, <laughs> testosterone-ridden family with, you know, my brother and I and my dad all doing this wood chopping and thank god my mom had my sister yeah, taking but, out the snowmobile and the <laughs> Mount Hood and yeah all, all the all the crazy sure whatever yeah and so she kind of she knocked that down a couple pegs and said you know you don't have to be this way you don't have to act like this there's better ways to be mm. and you know, she would support me in who I was as a person, in anything that I did, and who I decided to become. She actively would support it and give me, you know, encouragement and things like that. But also knew enough about who I was to steer me away from things that would have been detrimental. Because she... Yeah, that's probably... That seems like a lot of that's love. That that mm-hmm. kind of focus... On a person and knowing, oh, you know, I know who he is now, but I see that he has uh, capacity also for this, which might not be that good. Yeah. You know, so she heads it off at the pass before it even shows up. And it might help that uh, I was the youngest of three. And so they had my brother to practice on first, <laughs> then they kind of got it with my sister, All right. and then they're really getting into he it. He with... knew how to handle this <laughs> boy. Um, and so, and I know for a fact that she did the same thing for my siblings, and my dad did the same thing for them as well, and so a lot of people praise my parents for how delightful we as children are us us siblings well in all seriousness <laughs> i mean do people notice and they actually do say that mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. there's <laughs> here's a little story for oh, this, right. I, I love this story um because it was so minimal but it, it was so funny to me mm-hmm. um it was my junior, senior year of high school, maybe. Maybe I was in college. I don't remember. But it was over summer. We had my junior year of high school. We had an exchange student from Norway. Her name living was, with you. We li- living with us. Her name oh. was Hannah. Yeah. We're still great friends with her. Her right. family, her, we see them all the time. Not all the time, but... Uh, last winter we went to Norway and spent Christmas and New Year's with them. Nice. She comes back to Oregon every once in a while and visits us and, yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. And we went to Disneyland. And uh, my brother, my sister, and Hannah went ahead of us and they went into the park to do whatever. And I was hanging back with my mom. We... <laughs> um. Because all of us were pretty, we're all adults. We were all 18 or above. I was 19, probably 18. Um, And so we had drank a little bit. You know, we were drinking. My brother was 21 at the time, and so, you know... Yeah. All of this happening. So slightly tipsy would you say? Not come? no. Not I really. I wasn't I wasn't drunk or I wasn't tipsy, but okay. we were walking to uh the Disneyland gates and yes. my mom had oh what was it? It was like a a beer of some kind or a 
cider. I don't remember. Mm. It wasn't very good. But she was like, I'm not going to finish this. Aiden, can you finish this for me? And so I down the rest of her Chugged beer. It. <laughs> it was hard cider, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It was, yeah. it was alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And um, she gave that to me. And then I throw it away and... We go through the gates, and the gate checker stops my mom. And she says, "And she says, is this your son? Oh yeah, that he's mine. He is a wonderful. You are a terrific parent. He is so nice. You you did such a great job with him. And oh, thanks. That that means a lot. Thank you. And as we walk away, I say, she doesn't know." That you gave an underage child booze before yeah. he came in here. Real great parenting, Mom. <laughs> Spectacular work. Real good applauding for you. Right. And so it's it's funny to to think about that, how people actively see me and my siblings as these great people and they they applaud my parents for, you know, their parenting. Yes, but that but right outside I of mean, Disneyland, I chugged a beer. Sure, but that's <laughs> that was of given to me by my mother. Yeah, um, <laughs> and maybe on the surface, uh, I don't know what the rules of California are, but it seems like one has certain leeway with a child of their own that yeah. would allow maybe for that. But I wonder what it was that the ticket taker yeah, saw. I don't. I don't know. It was such a minimal interaction. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm still astounded by it. Right. But, I mean... But, she felt it. Yeah, somehow. And uh, the ticket taker wasn't wrong. No, she was not. I just find it... I think it's ironic, I guess, in a way. A little funny. That I that my mom gave well, her cute. her underage child alcohol, yes, yes, <laughs> and then yeah. was complimented on her spectacular parenting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not to say that's not good parenting. Well, it's don't just, you think that that funny. might indeed that kind of looseness of understanding what is really uh, important and what is far less so? For mm-hmm. example, she knows that you, Aiden, are not an alcoholic. No. And so the alcohol in whatever drink that was mm-hmm. was in no manner going to harm you. And it was a favor she was asking that you were willing Obliged to Obliged to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really all it is. <laughs> in truth, I mean, I think probably an excellent parent doesn't follow rules from a book. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, or even I, their own mental burden of how I should be. Right, they know. It's it's interesting. Um, when I was seventeen, about so here's here's how my parents raised me in my experience. When I turned sixteen, mm. I got my license and I was on my own. End of story. I had a job. I had my own car. I had a truck. Go figure. A truck. I had a truck. Um, Go out to the truck and change the oil. (laughs) Exactly that. Yeah. So I, and I I was going to school. I was going to work. I was coming home. They didn't care what I was doing. Sure. They already knew you. So long as I let them know in some capacity when I was going to be home, 
They knew I was safe, and they knew they didn't. It didn't matter what well, I was doing. It sounds like a, a respectful mm-hmm. interchange. You know, the data. They don't need a lot from you. They don't need to be reassured that you're not going off the rails. Yeah, they want to know when you're in the house because maybe there's a food issue or whatever it is. Yeah, uh, they need that information and from your point of view. You're not resentful to give them that. Nope. They're not on your ass every ten minutes. <laughs> it's not like that. Well, that God, that just seems so. It was, it was very oil free, smooth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, thing. and you know, my my brother when he was older, well. A little when he was around his senior year in high school, you know, that he it was kind of that time where it's like a lot of kids start drinking, mm. and one of two things in my experience again can happen: either you are not encouraged but allowed to drink, and what that does is that it allows you to learn in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas if you're keeping it a secret, you know, your parents would be pissed if they heard about it and they would give you hell for it. And what that does is that it forces you to either be ignorant of it for so long that when you do get the opportunity, you know, you, you go... You don't know how to control it, you don't know who to share that confusion with, that kind of thing. Exactly. Or, you know, it goes too far because you're trying to keep this secret so hidden. Yeah. And what I appreciate with my parents is that they were very open about it. I could tell them, hey, I went to this party and I drank and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, were you safe? You didn't drive? You're back? No one's pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all that mattered. Yeah. It doesn't matter that I went and did this thing. It was that I was being safe about it. Yeah. And I appreciate that so much for them to do that with me. And, um, yeah, no, it's, I think that's a really good way to teach kids or, you know, teenagers about these things is that you can't get mad at them for it. You can be a little bit you know, peeved, sure, because you might not want them to start it. But if they're staying safe in some capacity, they aren't going so hard with it. They aren't ruining their lives with it. I mean, people do it all the time. And if you learn to control it early on, my belief is that it won't, exponentially get worse. Um, Your behavior in yeah, some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. And pushing the boundaries, like drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you exactly. Know, drinking can clearly be problematic. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be, though. It doesn't have... Exactly. Yeah. My parents have taught me to be safe with it, and, you know, I, I appreciate that so much. Do you think that if somehow I was able to ask them... Well, you might. Rusty's uh, I know, but I mean, in their heart of hearts, not with the microphone on and having to present one way or the other because mm-hmm. this is for posterity or the public or whatever. Would they say that it was easy raising children? Would they say that? 
you think? Because it sounds on its face like it was this wonderful kind of synergy between your openness to being guided in appropriate ways and their skill at doing exactly that. Yeah. Which seems like a dovetailing, like perfect fit. I... Maybe you can't speak to that. I don't know. I mean, and that's the thing. I can't. Just because, you know, I don't have any experience with parenting in any capacity. Right. And I was their parenting experience. So I can't really say whether or not I was difficult as a child. um, And whether or not it was hard to raise myself and my siblings. But, I mean, as far as I'm aware, they did it pretty smoothly. <laughs> yeah, I almost wonder. I, I I kind of have the feeling that uh, by now you would know if they thought you were hard to raise. I think. Yeah, I, I think at some point they stories. would have told me. Uh, yeah. yeah, Thanksgiving dinner, there'd be memories of the mm. time you did X, Y, or Z or something right. like that. Um. I would like to think that me and my siblings were pretty easy children to deal with. Yeah. Um, especially with what they did for us and young age. And I, you know, it feels bad to make fe- people feel bad, you know, and it, it feels bad to make people's lives harder. And so... So that's a guiding sensation that you find within yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. You know, I don't want to force someone to take care of me in such a high capacity where I'm, you know, uh, high maintenance kind of thing. I want people to enjoy my presence without it being soiled by necessity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think as a kid I had that moral and I just compounded on that. All the time. Wow. I don't. I can't really. I can't really say for my sister or my brother. No. Um, how no, they you are. haven't had that conversation. Yeah. Before. No. But. I mean, we're pretty close as a family, and yeah. so. Um, you could have a conversation. I could. Yeah. yeah. I just don't. Yeah, it, it's it's not the time yet for it. Yeah, well, why would it come up? I mean, I suppose it comes up for me because I, you know, I mean, I really recognize the difference mm-hmm. between <laughs> the way I was raised right, yeah. and the way you were raised. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, when I think about my life and, and how it went, I'm sure I know it was a very difficult experience for my parents, and they certainly let us know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in psychotherapy, one insight I think I've had is that I probably owe my creativity mm-hmm. to the difficulty that I had being raised because I had to find a place an, an inside myself yeah. Yeah, that would allow for pleasure to come out in a socially acceptable way. And it turned out to give me a great career, and it's been a good life in a lot of ways. It might not have been the ideal start. Oh, no, it wasn't. It led you to where you feel like you've succeeded. 
Well, I mean, it's led me on a continuum, mm -hmm. but as I don't know if it was in this podcast or the one before, you were acting, you were asking what the payoff might oh, be. Oh, the, the end game. For me, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, in the, for those listening who skipped 14. Yeah, why uh, did you do that? <laughs> come on, you guys. We put a lot of effort in this. Yeah, you never think about that. <laughs> Anyways. Um, in the last episode, I asked Jim a question about, um, the end game of life, if you will. Um, he was comparing life to the game Fallout New Vegas that I had played, and I had asked their, I had asked him, uh, what the, how to, how to win, you know, because in the game, there's a successful path, and you've completed the game, credits roll. Right. How do we translate that to life was the question. Mm -hmm. And Jim, would you like to uh, continue forth with that? Well, it, my answer was that I don't really see an end game because unlike uh, the, uh, the video game, the only way there would be a, an abrupt end would be the computer fails or there's a power failure of some sort and you don't get to finish the game. But in life, uh, we can, any of us, wink out at any point. So mm -hmm. the idea of some spectacular, thank you very much, you are a winner, and the whole audience applause happens. I don't think that anyone can expect that. There's no final goal that I yeah. can see, but what I told Aiden is what I think is true for me, what motivates me to keep going is discovery. I mean, always there are pleasurable insights that uh, can be achieved if I am not blinded by my own preconceptions about the way people are, mm -hmm. um, who I am, you know, my insecurities, which manifest and inhibit me all the time. Yeah. And so I was mentioning that I'd hired a couple of coaches, sort of professional mentors. Which has led us into this topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I, my inference from what Aiden's been saying is that he doesn't, he's not in the market for a mentor. He's not going to need, I don't think, I don't think he's going to need a mentor, actually. Oh. That's my guess. I, I, I could be wrong because I don't know you fully, but I have to say I'm pleased to hear about your family life because it sounds so wonderful. It sounds kind of idyllic, and I'm sure I'm overstating that, but it does feel wonderful compared to uh, what you? I went through. Yeah, no, it, uh... I certainly wouldn't trade my family for anything. I do love them. Um, I feel like I've been bragging about them a lot, but yeah, you have. They deserve bragging. I totally <laughs> concur with that. But uh, no, oh, I completely lost my train of thought there. I'm so family obsessed. <laughs> but uh, oh, damn it! <laughs> I lost it completely. Take a moment, or I can pick it up. Well, <laughs> I've been up since four. Don't. Yeah, working at the pool, it's, yeah. uh, it's which a, can it's be tedious. A long, we, hard day. Yeah. But, I mean, you can call it idyllic, and even 
with that upbringing, no matter who you are, there's always someone who's going to guide you, regardless, in some capacity. Right. I mean, I think that I'm lucky because all my life, though I believe that I have a certain deficit of perception, Mm -hmm. that is, I'm insufficiently clear in any accurate way about what I'm seeing. So that aura of misperception, that confusion can lead me to wrong choices. Right. However, I've got clear-headed friends Mm -hmm. who love me. Right. And I guess they really are my mentors, a lot of them, not the hired coach, but other people that I talk to often on the phone. I think uh, it's appropriate to change uh, your definition of mentor, because originally you had said something about someone being older who is guided from a, a worse path. Right. But... Like some old guy. You yeah, know, the, the old... wise old man on the top exactly. of the mountain. Exactly, yeah. But I think age has nothing to do with it. I think you're right, man. Because there's, kind of like what we were saying before, there's so much to learn from a gener- generational gap, True. you know? There's True. things I mean, that I'm learning from you. And I from you. Exactly. And yep. so it it doesn't require someone to be older than you. That special, hypothetical mentor person. It all comes from how you are perceiving it. Mm -hmm. Because think about it in how I was kind of talking about my dad and the wood chopping. He did that completely on accident. He never intended for me to take away this lesson. No, from chopping love. Religious lovingness that you associate with the wood chopping. I gathered this way of thinking from this task that had no intention of it, you know? Except that he was that. I mean, no, there was no intent. Right. right. But But it happened. But he radiated it in some way. Who knows how that works. And so it all depends on how you think or what you believe the lesson or the wisdom that can be passed off by whatever someone tells you, whether it's minimal or huge and you know pivotal in your life, it all depends on how you decide to uh, take what you decide to take away from it, yeah, and what you decide to take away from what someone is trying to tell you. But I think that the foundation of mm-hmm. any learning from other people is trust. Absolutely. You yeah. have to trust somebody yeah, you uh, in some capacity. I feel like I've been using that a lot. Um, in some been? In some capacity. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that prank? No, I haven't heard you say that a lot. Um, anyways. Uh, so you agree that trust mm-hmm. is key here, really? Uh, yeah, because if I didn't trust someone in their ability to pass off some realm of information to me, then I'm not going to listen to it. No. For, you reject it out of hand, maybe. So I had a, a math teacher here at PSU 
who I did not trust in the slightest to do a damn thing. Oh, God. She... Some of the students that she was teaching corrected her on her answers. Damn. And so I no longer trusted her to teach me the subject that she was supposed to be an expert on. Yes, right? You know, a, yes. a professor at a yes, university. Yes. And so I learned nothing. Mm-hmm. She was not a mentor to me in any capacity because I didn't trust her to know the information yeah. well enough to pass it on to me. No, and and really trust trust feels good. I mean, maybe it's hard. I think for me, I don't give it easily. Mm. I'm wary of people. Right. Most of the time. And you have full right and reason yeah. to do so. Your sure. upbringing has definitely yeah. Yeah. done a lot of that. Yeah, made me skittish in mm-hmm. some ways. And that maybe uh, heightens the pleasure in having conversations with people I do trust. Because mm-hmm. it's a kind of relaxation. And you can open to what that person is, their experience, their wisdom, their insights, their intellect. And that can all be taken in. Yeah. By somebody. There's a lot you can do with other people and a lot to learn from yeah. everything, really. That ought to be sewn onto one of those little, uh, I don't know, uh, like home sweet home type of <laughs> oh, the aphorisms. Yeah, yeah crochet. Maybe, that's the word I was looking for. Maybe the we wall, should uh, start know? a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> what should we call it? I think inherently human. Is what, what an we should call excellent it. name. <laughs> and so, with that, we're hitting 45 minutes here. Yes. That's about the, uh, like we said last time, the contractually obligated time that we should be about wrapping up. Yeah, certain um, forces dictated <laughs> that's what has to happen. So, once again, Jim I'm Newman and Aiden DeBoard. DeBoard. This is episode 15. <laughs> Um, thanks for joining us. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a ride. Um, and think about it. Who's, who's your mentor? You know, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Ooh, that's a, that's a deep one. That's, that's for episode 16.